0: Well, also from my side, to every one of you, a very happy new year. May God bless us in uh, our personal lives, family lives, as a church, in our work, in everything. We do not know what uh, this year, 2020-2022, 20, will bring us. However, we, we know we need wisdom. And, well, wisdom to make good choices. And that's what the sermon is today is about, uh, based on a number of proverbs from the book of Proverbs. And let's first read those proverbs. They are not simply from one chapter, they are taken from, uh, mainly from chapter 16, but also a few from some other chapters. So I um, hope they are at least on the screen. We start with um, um, Proverbs chapter 12, verse 15. The way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but a wise man listens to advice. And then fifteen verse twenty two without counsel plans fail, but with many advisers they succeed. And then a number of verses from chapter sixteen The plans of the heart belong to man, but the answer of the tongue is from the Lord. All the ways of a man are pure in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs the Spirit. Commit your work to the Lord, and your plans will be established. The Lord has made everything for its purpose, even the wicked, for a day of trouble. Everyone who is arrogant in his in heart is an abomination to the Lord. Be assured, he will not go unpunished. By steadfast love and faithfulness, inequity is atoned for. And by the fear of the Lord, one runs away from evil. When a man's ways please the Lord, he makes even his enemies to be at peace with him. Better is a little with righteousness. Then great revenues with injustice the heart of man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps and then uh, verse thirty three from uh, chapter nine the, the, lot, the lot is cast into the lap but it's every decision is from the Lord and then chapter twenty one verse five the plans of the diligent lead surely to abundance, but everyone who's hasty comes only to poverty. We need we need wisdom. Wisdom to make to make good choices. And a few years ago I heard a sermon about this theme from Tim Keller and from that, since then, I I, uh, long to share that with you. So that's what's happening today. Wisdom is basically the ability to make good choices, right choices. You can make or break your life based on your choices. Is this, this the right person to marry? Is this the right house to buy? Is this the right amount of freedom to give to my child? Is this the right job for me? Is this the right person to hire for a certain job? And in every one of those situations, the options in front of you are many. Most of them are moral, legal, and allowable. But not all of them are wise. So we need guidance to make decisions. The Hebrew word for guidance that's often used in the book of Proverbs is derived from The word rope is derived from the word rope because ropes were the method of navigation for sailors in those days. They used ropes to lower or raise sails when the wind was changing or when they needed to change direction. So ropes were ways of navigating. Now the question is how do we get God's guidance? so that when we have all those choices, we know the right course to take. And we'll find out by looking at some of the Proverbs we read and understanding, first of all, the guidance God does, secondly, the guidance God gives, and thirdly, the guidance God purchases for us. So first of all, How does God do guidance? There are two ways in which God does guidance, based on those Proverbs. He guides in a paradoxical way, and He guides in a mysterious way. In a paradoxical way, what do we mean by that? Proverbs 21, verse 5 says, The plans of the diligent surely lead to to abundance, but everyone who is hasty comes only to poverty the word haste might be better translated as impulsive and the word diligent can also be translated as strategic thoughtful reflective so this verse is saying that instead of just letting life happen if you act if you are strategic life will be better making decisions makes a difference so nothing strange with that however look at 16 verse 33 pro- that proverb says the lot is cast into the lap but it's every decision is from the Lord now casting a lot then was very much like flipping a coin, coin or drawing a straw now if you said who kicks off four first you cast a lot if you would have football back then they would not flip a coin but cast a lot. But look at what the verse is saying. Every little detail, every coin toss, comes down exactly the way God planned. Even the smallest things are fixed by God's plan. Now we as human beings do not know how those cannot get those things together. We feel like either our choices are Um, and they have consequences and that means that our destiny is open and history is open or we believe that everything is fixed and if everything is fixed then who cares how you live it doesn't matter what you do but not in the Bible in the Bible we are told that we are absolutely free and absolutely determined at the same time There are many places in the Bible where the Bible shows in actual accounts of people's lives how this works out. However, the following Proverbs put this principle in a nutshell. Uh, 16 verse 1 says, The plans of the heart belong to man, but the answer from the tongue is from the Lord. And verse 9, basically the same thing. The heart of a man plans his way. But the Lord establishes His steps. Here's what it is saying Your plans are yours. You're responsible. God is not forcing you in any direction. If you do something stupid, there will be bad consequences. People will hold you accountable and they should. God will hold you accountable and He should. Your plans are yours. However, what actually happens as a result of those plans, what actually happens in history, is absolutely controlled by God. Nothing happens that's not according to his plan. Your plans and your choices belong to you. And what actually happens is completely fixed, both at the same time. Not 50% free and 50% determined or twenty percent free and eighty percent determined, no one hundred percent free and one hundred percent determined at the same time under the sovereignty of God intellectually it's almost impossible to hold together this biblical concept that we are absolutely free and absolutely determined at the same time we either believe we are determined or we believe we are free but. If you believe either of those, that there's no connection. It's basically impossible to live a decent life like that. If you believe everything is fixed, there's no connection between your choices and your destiny, you're going to be totally passive, bored, cynical. Who cares? However, if you as popular culture believes, really believe that your destiny is completely set by your choices and you thought about that, you wouldn't dare to get up in the morning. If you really believe that and you're happy, you're not thinking. When Jim Keller was about 22, he did everything he possibly could to get married to a woman who, if he had married her, would have been the wrong woman. she didn't become his wife and if he looks back at his 22 year old self he thinks that probably about sixty percent of the things he wanted were wrong now that's the thing that scares him what's his percentage now would he grow wiser as he grows older so the question is what fool knowing how little we know would want to live in a universe where everything is completely determined, fixed by our own choices. Here's what's so fascinating. The biblical understanding, which is intellectually weird, is utterly practical. The Bible doesn't say that our choices have no connection to our destiny, or that our choices completely determine our destiny. But rather, God, in his sovereignty, sovereignty, relates our choices partially to our destiny... But he's the one who fixes everything. Therefore, we are free, we are held responsible, and yet we can relax, because everything is under the control of God, who's working out things for good. If everything were fixed, there would be no, no incentive. However, the text says, your plans are yours, and consequences will come from it, and therefore, we have every incentive to do right and be wise. So, God guides in a paradoxical way. But he also does guidance in a mysterious way. Proverbs 16, verse 4 says, The Lord works out everything for his own ends, even the wicked for the day of destruction, of disaster. You know what this verse is saying. Not only are little things part of God's plan, but also bad things, evil deeds, are part of God's plan. Now, if you had not uh, thought through Proverbs 16, verse 1 and 9, you would say, oh no, bad things are part of God's plan. God is the author of evil. But you see, your plans belong to you. The plan of man belongs to him. That is, evil deeds belong to the evildoer. They are responsible for their deeds. And yet, God is going to overrule and work out even the worst things into an ultimate good in the end. The perfect example of that is um, Joseph. You probably know the story. Joseph is one of 12 brothers, and his father Jacob was destroying the family because he was favoring Joseph over his brothers in this way Joseph was becoming proud his brothers were becoming very bitter so bitter that they threw Joseph in a pit and sold him into slavery and when Joseph, Joseph was in Egypt as a slave he was accused of rape and thrown into prison and the years go by Joseph cries out to God and there's no answer God seems to be absent. And yet, only because all those things went wrong, years later it becomes clear that Joseph becomes a, becomes a man of greatness. His brothers and the family were completely healed. And in the end, the family is saved from starvation. And that's the reason why, in the end, Joseph was able to say to his brothers... You thought it for good, for bad, for evil. But God meant it for good. Now what does that mean? Never. Never think that God is not working. No matter how much it seems, He is absent. And at the same time, never Never think you are able to figure out what God is up to. Because that's only in the end. God's works mysteriously. That's the first point. But let me show you how important it is. People are always saying, I need God's guidance. But according to the Bible, God's guidance is more something God does than what He gives So if someone says, I need God's guidance, you're standing in God's guidance. You are being navigated. The second point is, how does God give guidance? You have decisions to make. How does God help take decisions? Again, we have two principles. First, you have to pay the price for God's guidance and secondly you have to develop the wisdom for God's guidance why do I say you have to pay the price? Uh, chapter 16 verse 3 says commit your work to the Lord and your plans will be established this may be the most intriguing verse of all the proverbs we read I guess you think you know what it said And I thought I knew what it said. And most commentators point out that what's written here is is a reversal of what most people think. You would think that, this text would say, commit your plans to the Lord and your work will be established. In other words, if you have a plan, you pray for God's blessing. God, bless my plans and then your work will be successful. That's what most people think it's saying. However, that's not what the text is saying. The the text says, commit your work to the Lord and your plans will be established. And you will become more and more a person who makes smart and successful plans. And this is what it's saying. The word commit literally means to roll over unto, to put all of your weight on. So unconditionally trust God for everything that happens in your life. Unconditionally trust God and you'll slowly become a person who makes wise plans. Plans in accordance with reality. Plans in accordance with who God is and who you are. Why do I call that paying the price? I don't mean that that paying the price earns guidance. I'm saying paying the price receives guidance. Why do I call it paying the price? Elizabeth Elliot wrote a book on guidance. And she puts it like this. The more we pay for advice, the more likely we are are to listen to it. Advice from a friend, which is for free, we can take or leave. Advice from a consultant that we pay much for, we are more likely to accept. But it's still our choice. However, the guidance of God is different. We do not come to God to ask for his advice, but for his will. And that's not optional. And God's fee is the highest of all. It costs everything. So she says, finding God's will is not coming to God and say, I'll trust you. If I'll trust you, you will give me such and such. Instead, if we want to have God's guidance, we come to God and say, I trust you. Give me or withhold from me whatever you choose. So, what does it mean to unconditionally trust God for every part of our, our life? It means to say, Lord, from this moment on, I'll obey anything you tell me, whether I understand it or not. And if you go through life like that, obeying, trusting unconditionally, committing everything, as time goes on, both your good times and your bad times will turn you into a kind of person whose plans are wise and successful. someone says why would that be for example in the story of Joseph all those years of slavery and injustice was that really necessary would it not well, why could it not happen like it happens in the TV in the TV program touched by an angel an angel shows up and says okay we're going to settle this right now we do not need 25 years of misery and pain you Joseph you're turning into a spoiled brat stop it You, brothers, you are turning into bitter people. Stop it and do not sell Joseph into slavery. And you, Jacob, stop your favoritism. And by the way, 25 years from now, there will be a terrible famine. So start saving for that period. Otherwise, you are going to die of starvation. Just like that in one minute. No, that's only how it works in Hollywood. Let me tell you how it works in real life. In reality, you never become wise like that. Firstly, nobody has ever learned that they were a sinner by just being told. Nobody has ever learned their flaws by being told. You have to be shown, confronted. And until you see your flaws by experiencing them, they are going to control your life. And secondly, nobody ever learned that God loved them by just being told. You know, Pastor Yoss tells you nearly every week. If you really believe that, you would live your life in a different way. In order to really, really believe that, you have to be shown. Over and over again, you have to be in positions where you're absolutely, absolutely sure God has abandoned you to learn later on, he has not, that you are wrong. So commit your entire life to him, and you'll become a more and more wise person. Proverbs uh, 12, verse 15 says, The way of the fool is right in his own eyes, but the wise man listens to advice. And 15, verse 22 says, Without counsel, plans fail, but with many advisors, they succeed. So here's how you make decisions and get God's guidance commit yourself to God, and you slowly return into a person of wisdom. But also, because of the humility you get, you turn to others and generate lots of options. You're not a fool, you do not think you know everything. And because of the love you feel from God, at the same time, you're bold and diligent. And you make plans, and that's how God shows you what you should be doing. Now, this is not necessarily what people want to hear. When people come to a pastor and say, I need guidance, I have decisions to make... I want to discern the will of God. Tim Keller tells them, well, make a decision. And then they say, how spiritual. I thought you were a pastor. I'm trying to find out the will of God. I've been praying. I've been getting peace about this, and I've not been getting peace about that. How do I discern the guidance of God? And Tim Keller says, make a decision. In the Old Testament, you have the Urim and the Tumim. We do not know how that exactly worked. um, But it was a way of getting a yes or no answer from God. It probably was a couple of stones or sticks. And you threw threw them, and if they would come down one way, the answer would be yes. If they would come down another way, the answer would be no. And if they would come down yet another way, there would be no answer. One time, David asked God a question using the Urim and Tumim, he was on the run from Saul and asked, if I hide in that city will so- and, and Saul pursues me there, will the people of the city uh, give me up to Saul? And the answer was, yes. So David didn't go there. We read it and think, well, that's what I want. I want guidance. However, we do not see that in the New Testament. What's going on here? Why doesn't God do that? Some people use their feelings as, as, of peace, as a kind of emotional Urim I have peace about this, but I do not have peace about that. I'm praying about this and it feels good. I'm praying about that and it does not feel good. By the way, I'm not saying you should not li- listen to your feelings. Sometimes, when you say, I'm not getting peace about this, you're trying to talk yourself into something, and your conscience knows better. There's a reason why it's wrong, but you're not yet able to articulate it. You're, you need to talk it out with somebody. So, do not ignore your feelings. However, if Jesus decided on the basis of his feelings what the will of God was, What if Jesus had said, shall I go to the cross or not? I don't have peace about it. Of course he didn't have peace about it. He wouldn't have gone. But why does God not just give an answer? Why does he say, make a decision? Imagine you have a four-year-old son. He comes to you at 5 p.m. and says, Daddy, can I go out and play? You say well, we have dinner at 5.30, so don't go out too far. Just stay close and I'll call you. Sixteen years later, your son is 20. He's at college. He calls you at 5 p.m. and says, Daddy, can I go out and play fris- frisbee outside? You would say, what's wrong with you? You're supposed to make your own decisions. Well, Dad, I just want to- you to make this decision for me. There may be parents who would like their children to be so emotionally dependent on them, but God is not one of them. He wants us to be like him and make decisions. When Tim Keller came to New York to start a church back in 1990 or so, people were constantly asking him, are you sure God has called you? start a church in New York in New York City do you have peace about it Tim Kelly used to say no I think God called me I see an opportunity I feel an obligation to come but I cannot be absolutely sure I'm sure I must not lie because it's in the Bible I'm sure I shouldn't worship an idol because it's in the Bible and there are lots of things that are clear from the Bible But I won't be sure I was called to plan the church until it happens. And no, I didn't have peace about it. It was too hard, too scary. But I know this. Guidance is more something God does than something God gives. And therefore I knew that by selling my house, coming here, starting this church, getting started... That if I fail to plan the church, God was preparing me for something I could not envision. So we have to understand the guidance God does, and then we can understand the guidance God gives. But then our last point, the guidance God purchases for us. 16 verse 3 says, commit your work to the Lord and your plans will be established. And that means, make a radical commitment, a a radical, unconditional trust commitment to God, and you'll slowly become the kind of person who makes wise plans. But, who commits completely? The word commit is an absolute word. Who rolls everything over unto God? Nobody in this room, certainly not behind the microphone in that case we are not eligible for God's guidance and yet it still comes to people you see this for example in Exodus 13 where Israel is led out of Egypt and a pillar went before Israel to guide them by day it looked like a cloud by night it looked like a fire when the pillar stopped for five days they camped for five days and when the pillar moved forward they went guidance but the pillar the glory of God dwelt over the tabernacle the holy of holies the place of atonement in other words they did not pay the price for the guidance in spite of the fact they did not commit completely it came to them anyway because in some way The sacrificial system indicated that somehow the price was paid for them. Who do you think paid that price? What's the ultimate price? A last illustration about the idea of navigation. Jesus Christ was in a boat asleep in a storm. And his disciples were freaking out. Why? Well, they were in a storm, and their navigator was sleeping. No navigation in the storm. So they wake him up and say, Lord, don't you care we are dying? When Jesus gets up, he's pretty short with them. He says, where's your faith? When they said, Master, don't you care that we are dying? I think Jesus was saying back to them, don't you care that I am dying? When they said, Master, you are not really navigating us through the storm, Jesus was saying, there is a real storm coming, a storm of God's wrath, a storm of God's eternal justice for everything that human beings have done. I'm going to bow my head before that storm. I'm going to take it for you. The Father is going to abandon me. I'll be the only righteous person in history who committed absolutely everything, rolled everything over unto the Father, and I'm going to sink. I'm going through the ultimate storm without navigation so you can be sure that in spite of the fact you don't deserve it you'll always be safe I'll not abandon you to that storm and therefore I'll not abandon you in this storm look at Jesus look at what he has done and to the degree you know that to that degree you'll be able to commit everything to him and become the kind of person who makes wise decisions.